Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Advocating for Impact podcast, where every episode covers a policy issue impacting the practice of pharmacy. I'm Tom Krause. Today, I'm joined by Jolan Schulte-Wall, ASHP's Senior Director of Health and Regulatory Policy. Thanks for joining us today, Jolan. Thanks, Tom. So let's get started on today's topic, manufacturer and payer efforts to undercut the 340B uh, drug discount program and court rulings that require CMS to refund hospitals for those underpayments. So just to set the stage on, on kind of where we are with the 340B program, the program's come under a lot of fire from manufacturers and they've tried to undermine the ability of covered entities to access discounts. Can you just bring us up to speed on how we got here? Sure. So the 340B program is actually an older program. It was started in 1992, and the whole purpose of the program is to try to kind of provide additional funding to um, safety net providers in a budget neutral way. So the entire cost of the program is more or less borne by manufacturers. It's not a taxpayer funded program in the sense that we're getting a whole bunch of tax dollars to to pay for drugs. So um, the way the program worked initially was that it was limited to a very small subset of what are known as covered entities. So it was federally qualified health centers and certain hospitals. And so the program kind of ticked along for a couple decades and then um, the Affordable Care Act was passed. And in the Affordable Care Act, there was a, a big expansion of the, the number of covered entities. So it started to, it, it started to um, extend to other hospital types that hadn't previously been covered. And as a, as a result of that, the program grew, um, but that was by design. The program had proven kind of very successful in, in getting more access to patients and allowing for providers to kind of supplement the programs they were offering. 340V dollars support all kinds of programs, and there is no funding kind of alternative. You know, this, the program has grown up in a way that it's it's kind of scaffolding a lot of the programs that hospitals offer at this point. Mm-hmm. So in the past couple of years, I think hospitals are, are have, you know, really started to pay attention to what manufacturers are doing in, in the 340B space. And manufacturers are concerned that the program has gotten too big. Um, I think a lot of that concern is driven by uh, worries about regulation over drug pricing. I think they're worried about revenue capture. They want to make sure they're maintaining their revenue streams. And I think the concern is if, you know, drug pricing, uh, negotiated drug pricing or some other drug pricing mechanism for um, uh, manufacturers goes into effect, that they're still going to be paying for 340B and that's a concern. So I think there's just sort of a number of things that are in play, um, but we've seen a real concerted effort from manufacturers over the past five years to really start to chip away at the program, and that was all post-ACA. And just before we kind of dive into the, the specific actions manufacturers are taking, I think I just really want to emphasize the, the role that 340B program plays um, in ensuring patient access in these in these safety net facilities. Um, you know, you mentioned that there it is, it, it, it underlies, these, these resources underlie a lot of clinical care programs, particularly uh, pharmacy uh, programs, some of which are about uh, providing patients access to discounted drugs, but others are, are just expanding access to certain clinical services. And in some hospitals, they're quite literally keeping the lights on using these, these resources. 
Um, so there's a range of, of services that are provided by uh, the 340B program. So, so you mentioned the actions that manufacturers are taking, and I, can, can you just say a little bit more about um, what we're seeing as far as you know, restricting access to drug or where uh, patients can, can access those drugs? Yeah, sure. So there are a couple of different um, tacks that manufacturers have taken in the past couple of years, and they're really designed to kind of whittle away at the program over time. One of the things that's kind of been a longstanding issue around 340B is there's not a lot of regulation um, related to the program. So there's the underlying 340B statute, um, which is pretty general, but there has not been a actual uh, true regulation kind of around the program. There have been attempts to do guidance. One of the problems that we are seeing is that the Health Resources and Services Administration, or HRSA, which oversees the program, doesn't feel like they have enough authority under the statute to regulate things as much as they would like. So we're in this situation where manufacturers, I think, feel empowered and, and emboldened in some ways to kind of take steps on their own that if there were regulation in place, they wouldn't feel comfortable taking because they would immediately be subject to penalties or you know, something beyond just the threat of litigation from covered entities. So um, one of the first things we started to see from manufacturers um, was this attempt to a, cut away a formulary access, and then B, there was a secondary piece of this, which was to cut down on contract pharmacies. So initially, there were some attempts by manufacturers to limit which drugs could be included on a formulary um, and reimbursed at the 340B rates. And that is contrary to the statute. However, because HRSA doesn't have um, what they feel is enough leverage or um, authority under the statute to really hammer hammer the manufacturers for acting outside of the statutory language. There was some strongly worded letters that went back and forth, and then eventually there was litigation around this. So um, once the formulary pieces started happening, you know, we were seeing one or two high cost drugs uh, limited by manufacturers. And this was just one or two manufacturers initially. But then we started to see manufacturers kind of take a broader approach to this. And one of the things that's happened in 340B is to increase access to for patients who are seeking care at 340B eligible facilities. There's been um, arrangements put in place with with pharmacies in communities so that these patients can go and then get their drugs at their local pharmacy, not necessarily the hospital's pharmacy, but a local pharmacy that the hospital has a contract with. Um, and these are the 340B drugs at the 340B prices. So it's much easier for the patient to go get their, their medication at this contract pharmacy that's you know two miles down the road versus traveling say 30 or 40 miles or even farther in rural areas to get their, their medications. So the idea was to expand patient access. Manufacturers looked at this and said, "Well, this isn't a, this is not what the program was meant to do. It was meant to just be in the hospitals, and so we're going to tell you, hospitals, that you can't have contract pharmacies. You can have we're going to be generous and say you can have maybe one contract pharmacy or your out one outpatient contract pharmacy, but it has to be on your hospital site." And covered entities pushed back and said, look, there's nothing in the statute that prohibits us from having contract pharmacies. And Hearst actually agreed and said, look, we agree that this is something that expands access. It's within the scope of the program. Um, they sent letters to manufacturers telling them to cease and desist. Um, and eventually what happened was litigation sprang up. And that's kind of where we are now. We're in litigation around um, 
what a contract pharmacy arrangement can look like and how expensive it can be, essentially. And um, and as you just mentioned, that ASHP was involved in some of that uh, litigation, at least an early phase of that litigation, basically trying to force HRSA to act and take some enforcement action against manufacturers. HRSA ultimately did take that enforcement action, and then manufacturers turned around and, and sued HRSA, uh, trying to limit their ability to uh, take enforcement action. And so now there is a, uh, a split in the court's uh, decisions on this, and it, it's, it's, it's going to be appealed, and this could take quite a while to resolve. So I think probably more to come there. But this is a this is definitely a challenge, and and, and certainly leveraging 340B um, contract pharmacies is a, is a way that covered entities can make sure that patients whom they serve are able to access these medications, you know, regardless of where they are filling their um, filling their prescription, if it's even if that's not at the the hospital facility. Um, so another thing that we've seen manufacturers do. Uh, more recently is is try to gain uh, information about claims. And, and partly this is uh, justified by um, trying to avoid duplicate discounts. Can you explain what's going on there and, and what we're seeing from manufacturers? Sure. So this is another area where, I, as I said earlier, I think manufacturers have been kind of emboldened to color outside the lines in the 340B program space. So what they're doing is trying to find any little chink in hospital armor to push forward with ways to kind of undercut the program and recapture some of the 340B reimbursement for themselves. And I think what you're seeing is because there's nothing in the statute that specifically prohibits certain actions, manufacturers feel like they can just take those actions. And that's really not how regulation generally works. It, this is sort of like the manufacturer's choose-your-own-adventure version of 340B, um, which is not the way the program was set up under the statute. So um, what we're seeing now is that manufacturers are coming in and telling covered entities, okay, I will give you your 340B reimbursement. You know, I will give you your 340B rate for this drug but I want you to use this claims platform. And the biggest one is this platform called ESP. And it's a number of different manufacturers that have kind of coordinated um, around it. And how that works in the antitrust space is a whole nother question. But I think um, the, the kind of the takeaway here is that they've said to covered entities, you know, this is going to be a prerequisite. Using this ESP platform is going to be a prerequisite for getting our 340B rates. And um, the problem is, is that manufacturers are saying, well, this is designed to ensure that we're not having duplicate discounts, which means that you are getting a Medicaid rebate in addition to the 340B rate. However, there's been a long-standing set of safeguards to prevent duplicate discounts without a claims platform. Um, so there really is no real justification for it. It's a it's kind of a fig leaf for the manufacturers. And the other thing that's worth noting here is the claims platforms that are being rolled out don't just touch the 340B claims. They want all of the hospital's data. Um, so that is a lot of proprietary information that manufacturers really have no need for, and I'm sure they would love to have it, but there's nothing in the statute that kind of and would allow that sort of action. Yeah, it's sort of a strange situation where the, the statute lays out the circumstances under which manufacturers are required to provide uh, access to discounted drug. And what the manufacturers are doing is actually kind of coming in here and layering their own requirements on there that are not in the statute. 
um, and saying, if you don't meet these additional requirements that we are creating, uh, notwithstanding the statute, you don't get access to the drugs. And that's um, that sort of flies in the face of, of what Congress uh, intended, what Congress wrote. Um, there are examples of HRSA um, sending in individual enforcement action letters to manufacturers saying, hey, knock this off, you can't uh, impose this, um, unilaterally impose this requirement on, uh, on 340B covered entities. Um, but they haven't said it broadly um, and they haven't uh, communicated that to covered entities. So what we want to do, we, we, we ASHP have asked HRSA uh, to do exactly that, uh, you know, provide a broad communication to manufacturers saying, you know, you don't get to impose your own, uh, your own data submission requirements as a condition of participation for 340B covered entities. You know, we've also asked them to tell the, 340B covered entities, you are under no obligation to comply with, you know, new new requirements that manufacturers just impose extra, uh, you know, extra statutorily. That is just not part of what Congress intended. So that's kind of what we're seeing on the manufacturer side. But it's actually not only the manufacturers that are trying to to capture the value of the 340B program. You know, because the 340B program does create uh, resources that, that safety net hospitals are intended to use for, for patient care, payers are looking at those resources and saying, aha, I could capture some of that for, for myself. So can you talk a little bit about what payers are doing to capture those 340B resources from, from covered entities? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we kind of touched off more of the recent uh, manufacturer efforts under the program was actually a CMS action um, back in 2018. So the way that covered entities get savings or revenue from the 340B program is they, you know, manufacturers sell them drugs at a 340B rate, which is a discounted rate from, you know, the average wholesale price or the average sales price for a drug. And then um, the CMS reimburses at a higher rate. And that margin is what hospitals use to support their programs. And so CMS in 2018 said, look, we're, we think that, um, the savings here should be shared more broadly. So what we're going to do is we're going to drop the reimbursement rate for 340B medications in, in Medicare Part B by about 22.5%. So it went, well, I'm sorry, 28.5% total. So it went from ASP plus six, which is the general rate that Medicare pays for all drugs in Part B, down to ASP minus 22.5%. So it was a very substantial cut. And immediately there was pushback on this from hospitals because the way the statute is written, uh, CMS has to do a survey of actual acquisition costs for the medications for can make any changes to Medicare Part B reimbursement for drugs. And the agency had not taken that step. Um, they did try to take that step later on down the road um, in, in 2020. And there was a lot of pushback from ASHP and from other organizations, given that we were at the height of the COVID pandemic. They're really was not any kind of slack in the system to allow for people to spend time putting together survey information. It was just really a bad time. Um, so a lot of hospitals didn't participate. A lot of hospital councils said, you don't have to participate in this. Um, this is just not a, a reasonable request at this juncture. So we're 
at present there, you know, we're at a place where there was just a Supreme Court ruling in favor of hospitals saying very narrowly that um, that CMS overstepped its authority in making the cuts because it didn't conduct the survey of actual acquisition costs. So we're at a place now where CMS has been told they need to remedy these underpayments to hospitals because they were supposed to be paying an ASP plus six, but they are paying an ASP minus 22 and a half percent. So they need to make up the difference in those payments from 2018 all the way to 2022. And for next year in the, um, the annual outpatient perspective payment system rule, they said, look, we're too close to the Supreme Court ruling to propose the change back to ASP plus six, but we will for 2023 in the final rule bump reimbursement back up to where it was supposed to be. But the remedy piece is still in play. And so um, we we talked to members and we talked to other organizations, including AHA or the American Hospital Association and 340B Health to see what they were recommending to kind of make sure everybody was singing the same tune. And what we came away with was a couple of different things. One, that the remedies needed to be as simple as possible. So um, the preference for us was sort of an attestation process by hospitals to say, look, for 2018, here's what we were underpaid, pay this, you know, fairly quickly. The, the other concern is you don't want a lot of back and forth with the agency. Um, these are, this is money that should be kind of pushed out fast. And then the other, the few other things we wanted to make sure was that there would be no additional cuts to payments down the road. There'd be no attempts to retroactively assess any amounts they felt for due to the agency or somehow hadn't been paid. Um, and then we also wanted the modifier that's been on 340B drugs since 2018 removed because if going forward, the payment rate is going to be ASP plus six for 340B drugs, there's no reason to flag those claims with the modifier. It's just an additional administrative burden. So um, one of the things that kind of complicates all this, though, is when the, the cuts were initially made, rather than maintaining sort of a pool of savings from that, that margin that CMS was taking out from the hospitals, they, they re um, kind of plowed it into the outpatient services side of the aisle. And the other thing we really said was, look, you cannot rob Peter to pay Paul. You can't take all this money out of the outpatient services side. You're going to have to find a way as CMS to make hospitals whole without, you know, carving that that money out of the outpatient services side. Because there are hospitals that are 340B in some, um, in some parts of their system but not necessarily in all of them. And so the outpatient services cuts would be really uh, detrimental to patient access services and other places in the system. So we don't want any kind of remedy that's going to disadvantage another part of the hospital system. The idea here is to reinstate access across the board and to ensure hospitals actually get reimbursed what they were due. Um, particularly after COVID, you know, there's there's just still not much slack in the system. And as Tom mentioned earlier, 340B is actually the difference between being in the red or breaking even for some folks. Yeah, yeah and, and and that's really why this this issue has been been um, kind of at the forefront of our advocacy. And SHP recently had its its legislative day where about 130 members, ASHP members were in Washington, DC and, and spent a day on Capitol Hill advocating uh, about uh, several issues, including including exactly this. Um, so Dylan, you, you described um, CMS's action. 
Uh, and that really opened the door for other payers too. So can you explain what other payers are doing um, to capture these 340B resources? Sure. So I think we're seeing some a couple of different things going. One, it's, it's worth noting that when CMS made its cuts, a lot of private commercial payers made similar cuts. And even though CMS has now reinstated the ASP plus six um, reimbursement rate, there's no guarantee that private and commercial payers will do the same. So we have asked CMS to kind of push, especially on the Medicare Advantage side, to make sure that they, to the extent they have any kind of sway that you know, the commercial payers reinstate the correct rate for 340B reimbursement across the board. Um, so that's one piece of it. And then on the other side, there are state level efforts to kind of capture some of the revenue from 340B at, at the payer level. And a lot of this is around kind of setting discriminatory payment policies targeting 340B. And that's, that is something that um, we started to see initially when States were looking at whether they wanted to carve in or carve out. And this is kind of this gets very complicated very quickly. It's really whether you're going to take the Medicaid rebate or you're going to take 340B reimbursement on the Medicaid side. And so if you do the Medicaid rebate, that goes to the state. It's not going to go to your hospital. And so that's where you get kind of some push and pull at the state level initially. But then when you look at the payer side of the aisle, um, there are things they're doing that kind of mirror some of what the manufacturers are doing, but at the kind of micro level. Um, so it's things like having a different payment rate for 340B drugs saying, look, we know you get a discount on these drugs. So we're going to pay you, you know, 10%, 20% less than we would pay for any other drug to make sure that uh, we capture some of those discounts for ourselves and in, in our systems. There are situations where there are access issues where payers will try to ensure that patients don't go to a 340B contract pharmacy or they're pushed to non-340B entities so that the there's a limit on kind of the reimbursement around 340B at that level too. So what ASHP has done is created sort of a set of model legislative points and model legislative language because there are states that already have some pieces of this in place. Um, you know, and one of the other big pieces here is that for the states that do have legislation that protects um, against payer discrimination against 340B entities, not many of them have um, teeth to the legislation. So one of the kind of key pieces of our model legislation is that there needs to be a way to enforce this. Because I think across the board with both payers and manufacturers, they're getting away with slaps on the wrist for creating their own sets of rules around a program. Um, so they're essentially kind of running roughshod over federal agencies and federal statute in some ways. And I think that there really needs to be very um, tight and um, to the extent we can get it consistent legislation across states and then at the federal level to better protect covered entities that really rely on this program to support their patients and their services. So you mentioned this uh, model legislation that ASHP has put together. Can you say a little bit more about what uh, what actions that would prohibit payers from taking with regard to 340B covered entities? Sure. I mean, I think there are, you know, there are a bunch of different pieces that we kind of want to see woven into the legislation. But the, the main kind of key takeaways are that 
the legislation is going to prevent a PBM or a plan from doing certain things. Um, and one is to require that there's a modifier or some sort of supplemental transition uh, transmission that identifies a medication as a 340B drug unless it's a claim for payment for Medicaid for the purposes of preventing a dual discount. Um, so I think the, the idea there is there, there doesn't need to be this additional administrative burden with the modifier. There's just no reason to track those claims separately and that PBMs and plans can't restrict access to a pharmacy network or otherwise adjust reimbursement rates based on covered entity status. And then finally, that they can't, that the PBM plan can't condition payment for 340B drugs on enrollment in a claims platform like APS or any other claims platform. Um, you know, the covered entities undergo lots of auditing. There's lots of oversight on the covered entity side of the aisle. I think what has been missing historically has been similar um, kind of scrutiny of manufacturers. And that's in large part, I think, because HRSA hasn't felt that it has the authority to do as much as it would like to do in that space. Hence the kind of importance at the state level of having real teeth in legislation that's going to allow for more than just like a gentle chiding of payers who are overstepping on 340B. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for the, the effort that you've put into that. I know, um, I know, as you mentioned, there are several states that have some version of uh, non-discrimination language for 340B covered entities, but we've tried to um, really capture kind of best in class uh, components of, of each of those state state policies and put them in a in a single package so that states, um, including ASHP affiliates and other associations and, and hospitals can, can see those and use them as a guide for their advocacy locally. Um, so thank you, Julianne. And I think that's all the time we have for today, but thank you for uh, taking us through this discussion of the current state of play in the 340B discount drug pricing program. Be sure that your voice is heard. Uh, as an ASHP pharmacist and constituent, you uh, have you know tremendous influence in your state. Talk to your uh, local uh, leaders about this. Talk about these challenges in your own institution and, and, and make it a priority for advocacy for your own organization. Um, and as always, uh, you can visit ashp.org to learn more about this and other key issues, grassroots efforts, and ways that you can get involved in ASHP's advocacy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.